You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Representative Michael McCall joins the Post to discuss the timetable for U.S. troops to leave Afghanistan, the relationship with China, and the Biden administration's domestic agenda. Let's listen. Hi, everyone. I'm Jackie Alamany. I'm author of the Washington Post's early morning newsletter, Power Up. Welcome to Washington Post Live this morning and another of our series, the 117th Congress. Our guest today is Texas Congressman Michael McCall, the ranking Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Welcome to the Post Live, Congressman. Thanks for making the time for us. Oh, thanks, Jackie. Thanks for having me. I want to get your reaction to yesterday's big news right off the bat. A jury convicted former police officer Derek Chauvin of murder and manslaughter and the death of George Floyd nearly a year after the viral video of Chauvin uh, pinning down Floyd with his knee went viral. Your reaction to to this verdict? Well, I think it provided justice uh, not only uh, to the family but to the nation as part of the healing process of this uh, it was murder. I, I was a federal prosecutor for many years. Uh, what I saw in the video is clearly murder. Uh, it shows our criminal justice system does work. Um, and this is a proper way to handle this kind of situation. And my heart still goes out to the family. But this is a first step, I think, in the healing process, not just for the family, I think, but for the entire uh, country moving forward. And you were among the Republicans in the House who voted against the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Are you confident that your colleagues in the Senate, uh, Democrats and Republicans, can reach some sort of bipartisan agreement on police reform? What were your issues with the bill initially? Well, we we did have a bipartisan bill called the Justice Act. Uh, Senator uh, Scott from South Carolina uh, proposed this in a bipartisan uh, way. I, I was very disappointed, quite frankly, uh, that the speaker decided to go with a, a more partisan bill and not something that would pass uh, overwhelmingly on both sides of the aisle. I, I hope we can bring that back up again. Um, but we obviously need better training with our police departments. I've worked with law enforcement uh, almost my entire professional career. Uh, most of them are very good men and women putting their selves in harm's way every day. Um, but I think um, we need that reform. We need the body. We need the cameras to document what happens. We need to eliminate things like chokeholds. And um, a lot of this is just better policing and better training. Um, not defunding the police is a knee-jerk response. Um, for instance, my Austin Police Department got defunded $150 million, and they had nothing to do with the George Floyd murder. Uh, I think better training is the answer. Uh, not defunding our police wholesale. And it seems like the qualified immunity provisions have been what Republicans have been stuck on. Do you think that's a non-starter for something to get pushed through in the Senate and onto President Biden's desk? Well, every uh, police chief I talk to say that that will, uh, uh, will destroy their ability to recruit new officers. I think the, the answer uh, to misconduct and criminal behavior as a prosecution, as what happened in, in the Chauvin case. And I think justice was delivered. Um, I know the family is pursuing a lawsuit against the uh, city, uh, and I think that's appropriate as well. But if we open up liability for uh, everyday police officers that make, you know, don't make a whole lot of money, they do need to be held accountable. Uh, and they are in the criminal justice system. But I think you'd have a very hard time recruiting 
uh, new talent, new police officers if we opened up that liability provision. Uh, and I can tell you the morale is, is already bad enough. Um, uh, you know, with the, uh, uh, I think the, the nation, you know, the sort of public reaction to police officers. Again, uh, what happened in the Floyd case, you know, justice was served. It was murder. Um, and I'm, I was very pleased with the outcome and the jury's verdict. Uh, but they're not all bad apples. And I want to talk about an issue that uh, is at the center of the district that you represent. You've been to the border twice in recent weeks. What should the Biden administration be doing about the surge of migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border? I think go back to the policies that were working. Uh, the Remain in Mexico policy was working. The political uh, or the asylum cooperation agreements we made with Central America was working. I had dinner with the ambassadors from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Uh, they don't want to lose a generation of children from their country. And yet, when these policies were reversed on day one by President Biden, which required them to remain in Mexico pending the application process, the traffickers are very smart. There's a direct cause and effect. And, you know, you don't have to listen to me. Just talk to the Border Patrol down there that I've dealt with for many years both as a federal prosecutor and as chairman of Homeland Security Committee, uh, this had a direct cause and effect. The traffickers saw a green light that America was open for business. And unfortunately, it's, it's the children that are suffering. You know, the, the children, thousands of them uh, making the dangerous journey that takes about 40 days from Central America up through Mexico. And I, I saw them in the Rio Grande Valley sector uh, recently. It's one of the saddest things I've seen. I've, I know this border. I've seen it many. I've seen this movie before, but this is the worst I've ever seen it. And the saddest thing, Jackie, is that it was self-inflicted. I met with the special envoy to uh, Central America yesterday to talk about some constructive ideas working together with the administration. I urged them to uh, reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy and the uh, asylum agreements that were very skillfully and masterfully negotiated. But if you want to talk about the real driver of migration, you have to get to the root cause. And it's not political asylum, it's economic. Um, the economy of scale, the poverty, and the violence that's down in Central America. We are developing a bill, I am with Chairman Meeks, uh, to try to deal with this root cause problem phenomenon. If we can work with the Development Finance Corporation that we authorize into law, in the State Department that works with the private sector to invest in developing nations to counter uh, the influence of China as well. Um, this seems to me Central America is a prime destination for this program to operate. In addition to USAID, XM Bank, and US Trade uh, representatives, this will uh, take the political risk out of the private investment and so we are working on legislation that would prov provide this foreign assistance, but really ramp up uh, the State Department's efforts in conjunction with the private sector to invest more in the economies in Central America that will uplift their economies. And at the same time, it's a great foreign policy against China, and it will solve this migration phenomena at, its, at, at you know, the root cause of the problem. I think this is a good policy. Jackie, there are a lot of messaging bills out there. I see this one as a bipartisan bill that I, I, I know my ninth term to get anything done up here, 
you have to be bipartisan. And, um, and Chairman Meeks and I are going to work to get this one done. And I think it's going to have long-term uh, uh, major positive consequences. That's super interesting. I'm curious to hear more about using the Development Finance Corporation to counter China's actions. Um, is this, why isn't that something that was done under the Trump administration? No, I think they were down there. Um, you know, it's one thing to be on the on the goal line defending your goal. And oftentimes with border security, that's what we do. Uh, we just look at it as don't don't score a touchdown, get into our we need to look at the, the you know the the 99 yards in front of us and and push it out, push the border out uh, to the root causes. So we can do that through security initiatives, which you know Elliot Engel and I who chaired foreign affairs. We passed the Northern Triangle Security uh, Initiative, which provides assistance for security and rule of law, uh, and um, has reporting. Um, but this idea that I'm talking about is a, is a fairly new. Uh, now the DFC we authorized into law in, in the prior Congress, but uh, in light of this this uh, humanitarian crisis. Um, I believe that this is exactly what the DSC was designed um, to, um, it, it was intended for this purpose, really, to help developing nations um, uplift their economies of scale and counter uh, the Chinese Communist Party all at the same time. And it would solve the migration problem as well. And on this topic of countering China, you have strongly criticized President Biden's decision to withdraw from Afghanistan on September 11th, the 20th anniversary of the attack on the United States. You've said that it gives the Taliban a complete victory. In what ways have they won? Well, they, they didn't, uh, the Taliban did not comply with any of the commitments that were given to them. Uh, the only one they, they abided by was not attacking uh, our forces in Afghanistan. They did not cut their ties to Al Qaeda. Uh, they did not comply with the agreements. I had very little hope in the peace process, although uh, I, I was hopeful we could achieve that. Um, I was critical uh, for uh, many reasons. We just had yesterday, uh, Chairman Meeks and I moderated the discussion with the Director of National Intelligence, the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, and General Milley. I, I don't know why September the 11th date was chosen. They were asked that question, and they didn't come up with a very good answer. I think in some respects, that's very offensive to the victims of 9-11. But my major concern here is, look, the decision's been made. Um, what, why, was I, why am I concerned about this? Because I believe a complete withdrawal, like what we did in Iraq when you had the rise of ISIS and the caliphate, I urged President Trump to have a residual force in Syria, and he did. I believe that a, a counterterrorism force, residual and small, uh, needs to remain to protect the homeland. Uh, the decision now has been made to completely withdraw. What are the consequences of that? That means we're going dark in Afghanistan with the exception of the embassy, which I think will be at great risk as well of being targeted uh, by the Taliban. We have no uh, intelligence gathering capability now and once we pull out in Afghanistan. The CIA director recently testified that this would, would be a tremendous risk significant risk and would diminish our intelligence capability in country. And I think all the briefers agreed with that assessment. So where are we now? Uh, the Taliban most likely, when we withdraw, along with Al-Qaeda, 
uh, will overrun the country. Uh, they will be a threat to our embassy. We could see our embassy pulling out. We are going to close down Bagram Air Base and all the forward out, outward bases as well. Um, if the Taliban and Al-Qaeda take over Afghanistan, we could return to pre-9-11 conditions from which they could conduct external operations against the West, both our out NATO allies in Europe and the United States of America. I uh, Now moving forward in a constructive way, we have to find a way to conduct a counterterrorism mission to both identify threats in country and eliminate them when we find them. The only way we can do that now if we're out of Afghanistan is to have these agreements with neighboring countries around Afghanistan that will give us the ISR capability, the intelligence surveillance reconnaissance uh, that we need. Uh, we won't have human intelligence on the ground under Title 50. Uh, we will have Title 10 capabilities to launch strikes if necessary. But according to all the briefers, this will be far more difficult now with us pulling out 100% out of Afghanistan. And our colleagues reported last week that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was against this decision, along with a, a slate of other military leaders and uh, officials at the Pentagon. Why do you think Biden overrode their guidance on this? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Chairman uh, General Milley, he's a dear friend of mine, a fellow Texan, said the president was very thoughtful. He did listen to his advisors. I think politics had a lot to play in this. Um, and you see it on both sides of the aisle. I think the American people, there's a, they're, not, they're impatient. Uh, there's a forever war drumbeat. But 2,500 troops is a very small uh, force. And NATO provided 6,500. To me, that's a very small force to provide an insurance chip for stability uh, in the region. With us pulling out 100%, we'll destabilize uh, Afghanistan and the regions. I think overall, I, I think as the president said, he didn't want to pass this one down. Um, I think it was uh, based in large measure on uh, politics. I, I do agree with your assessment that uh, the Secretary of Defense and others and, and, and those in the intelligence community, and I can't go into personal conversations, I don't want to divulge my sources, but many, many of the higher levels in both DOD, state, and and the IC uh, were not in favor of this decision. Do you think there should be any special considerations for Afghan refugees in our uh, asylum and, and immigration policy going forward? You know, I had dinner with the first female ambassador from Afghanistan uh, two nights ago, uh, and uh, Roya Romani, a, a dear friend, very smart. Uh, I tell you, Jackie, I, the thing that really, and President Bush mentioned this as well, what is going to happen to the women? We know the Taliban treat them as chattel, as property. They treat them quite simply like dirt. Um, I'm very, very concerned about the girls and the women in Afghanistan and what is going to happen to them when the Taliban overruns the country with their barbaric uh, tactics. It's this part of their religion. Uh, we will have a refugee crisis. Uh, General Milley told me probably 50,000 refugees will be coming out of Afghanistan. And I think it's our responsibility since we abandoned our partners. And, and I think it's our responsibility and NATO to absorb uh, these refugees 
both into our country and to our NATO alliance partners, um, that's the least we can do now to protect what is going to be uh, a killing field of, of women in Afghanistan. We have also reported that the part of the calculus with the Biden administration was that pulling out of Afghanistan allowed the U.S. to free up some resources to counter China. You've obviously been very critical of China on a variety of issues, human rights abuses, their treatment of the Uyghurs. How do you assess the Biden administration's <clears throat> overall posture toward, towards China right now? Well, first of all, 2,500 uh, <clears throat> Uh, troops, it's really not a large number. We've been in South Korea for a long time, Germany. This is, again, a small force as an ins insurance chip. So I don't really buy the argument that's going to free up all these resources for China. Now, uh, having said that, I do believe China is the greatest long-term threat to our national security. And I've had a lot of discussions with the administration. Um, how we How can we counter the Chinese Communist Party, both economically and militarily. Um, they are building, they are investing a trillion dollars in their digital economy. That's artificial intelligence, quantum computing, Huawei, which is their telecom surveillance, uh, you know, um, basically their, um, their program. And they're also getting very militarily, you know, provocative. Uh, in uh, Hong Kong, as you know, they invaded and took over Hong Kong without a shot fired under this national security law um, and uh, major human rights abuses. Uh, they are currently threatening uh, Taiwan and the Taiwan Straits. They are very provocative in the South China Sea. Uh, they have more Navy ships now than we do. Uh, they are the second largest economy in, in the world, and we have to be more you know, competitive with them. I'm going to be marking up uh, out of the Foreign Affairs Committee um, condemning the Chinese Communist Party for genocide, for killing and torturing the Uyghur Muslim population. And I think, you know, we had um, we've had the Secretary of State say this, but I think the President of the United States needs to say it as well, that what the Chinese are doing is genocide. Uh, and the, the pictures and video I see uh, but what is happening in China is, is absolutely horrific, and it's time for the United States Congress to condemn them uh, for these actions. Do you support a U.S. Uh, a boycott of, of the Olympics? You know, I think we should have a, a diplomacy boycott, a diplomat boycott, to not recognize this. But I don't think we should punish the athletes that have trained for so many years. I mean, had we boycotted the Olympic Games in Munich, we couldn't have demonstrated to the world that an African-American, Jesse Owens, could take the gold medal uh, and defy Hitler's reasoning that the Aryan race was somehow superior. Uh, so, and, and then if you look at when Carter boycotted uh, the Games in Moscow, the result there was that the Russians and Chinese took home all the gold medals. So I don't want to, but I do have a bill that will, uh, make sure that our athletes are properly briefed like members of Congress are before they go into theater, into China, where they will be under heavy surveillance, they will be tracked, and they need to know that. And, and so I think those briefings are very important. I think the corporate sponsors have a responsibility as well, uh, that as the broadcasts go out, uh, that we, they not play China propaganda on the airways. 
and they have a responsibility, uh, you know, I think on this as well. I do think the diplomats uh, from our allied nations should boycott uh, the Olympics, but not harm the athletes. And there's really so much going on on a foreign policy front. It feels like uh, every single policy issue was covered last week. The Biden administration also announced new sanctions on Russia. But do you think that they should be doing more to support the imprisoned Kremlin opposition leader, Alexei Navalny? I do. Um, any political dissident, whether it's uh, Khashoggi or, you know, you know in, in the Russian case, um, uh, we need to stand up for human rights and we need to stand up for democracy. We're still the beacon of hope around the world. And that's one thing that does bring Republicans and Democrats together. I was very pleased to see President Biden sanction Russia, uh, partly because of their cyber attack in my hometown of Austin with SolarWinds, a very uh, sophisticated malware that went undetected and caused uh, we still are assessing the damage that's done both to the private sector and the federal government. This is the missing piece in cyber. I authorize a cybersecurity agency at the Department of Homeland Security to protect the nation from cyber threats and, and threat inf sharing of threat information. We have a robust offensive capability with NSA and DOD. The missing piece, Jackie, is the international piece. What are the international norms and standards uh, when it comes to cybersecurity? We don't have any. We let the Chinese steal 23 million security clearances, uh, including mine, without any consequence you know, at all. So my bill, the Cyber Diplomacy Act, will uh, authorize into law not only the, the office within the state, but an ambassador that will have the, the legal authorities to uh, reach agreements with foreign nations, particularly our allies, on what is acceptable conduct and what is not. What is an act of cyber warfare? What is cyber espionage? And what should be the consequences to uh, that type of behavior? So far in the cyberspace, we seem to treat it differently where there are no consequences to bad behavior. If there are no consequences, just like with my five children to bad behavior, guess what? Bad behavior continues. And so this bill will ensure not only that we have uh, um, um, more rules of the road, if you will, where we don't, uh, but it will also deal with this uh, cyber sovereignty concept that Russia and China seem to have, where they control their own people through oppressive uh, surveillance uh, through their cyber programs and their telecom programs like WeChat. You know, the doctors trying to report a SARS-like virus according to international health regulations were not were not commended by the Chinese Communist Party, but rather arrested and detained and silenced. Had their voice been allowed to speak out truthfully, the world would have known that we had an epidemic that was growing to become a pandemic, but the Chinese Communist Party put that to a grinding halt. And I've got to ask you, squeeze in one more question here, but as someone who watched four years of President Trump's relations with China very closely, and just this week, you saw the former president say that, uh, you know, I like Putin and I think Putin likes me about his relationship with the Kremlin. How would you explain this uh, affinity that former President Trump has for Vladimir Putin? You know, I, I, I always said Putin's not our friend. He, we don't cozy up to enemies. Um, he's not. He's a former KGB officer. I once KGB, always. 
you know, I know President Bush said he looked in his eyes and saw his soul. I think every world leader wants to have a relationship with the top foreign adversaries or as best as they can. Um, but I, I will tell you that, that the, the administration itself, while the rhetoric was out there, you know, we passed more sanctions on Russia than any other time in history. Uh, the Congress did, and, and, and the administration, uh, you know, was supportive. President Trump was the first president in my lifetime to stand up to uh, China and their aggression and their theft of intellectual property. You know, NSA Director Keith Alexander said the greatest transfer of wealth in human history is what it has been stolen by the Chinese. China uh, has stolen our aerospace technology, their new frontiers to take over space, which is why we form the Space Force to compete with them in space. We got to compete with them in Belt and Road Initiative in uh, Africa and Latin America. Uh, we've got to compete with them in, in the technology space. I'd take you back to a case I prosecuted when I was a, a DOJ prosecutor here in Washington, the Johnny Chung case back in the late 90s with the, remember the, uh, the big uh, Chinagate scandal. Uh, we, I prosecuted Johnny Chung. He led us to the Director of Military Intelligence putting money uh, through China Aerospace into his Hong Kong bank account and then into the Clinton campaign. This has been going on for decades. They're just, a, they're far better at this game of espionage and they're far better at stealing uh, everything when it comes to our military, our fighter planes, to our technology, to all of our intellectual property. And that has to stop. And I think the COVID was a wake up call for the American people that we cannot, it's not status quo anymore. We tried to bring them in the family of nations and it just didn't work. And now they're trying to take over the United Nations. Uh, so, and then finally, uh, Jackie, if I can say supply chain is so vitally important. Most Americans didn't know that they're all, most of their medical supplies and like the PPE comes out of uh, China. We have to look at ways to incentivize companies in the United States to manufacture medical rare earth minerals. A bill I introduced, the Chips for America Act, will incentivize uh, companies like Samsung and Intel and Global Foundries and Micron to ramp up their game, pull supply chain out of the region that's influenced by China into the United States or our allies to produce these highly advanced chips that are in everything from your iPhone to the F-35 plane. So it would boost manufacturing jobs in the United States and at the same time protect our national security. Jackie, I was in the Oval Office with the president, four senators, four House members, bipartisan. We were all in agreement. The president said it's the best meeting he's had since he's been in office and that he's all in. It, these are the moments in Congress when it, it does pay off, when you have a good idea like this and you can actually see it being passed and signed into law. Unfortunately, Congressman, that's all the time we have today. But thanks so much for this really fascinating conversation. Oh, thank you, Jackie. And thanks so much for having me. Please tune in, everyone else, at 1.30 Eastern Time today when my colleague Paige Winfield Cunningham is going to host a program with education and health leaders about the future of schools post-pandemic. You can always head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and find more information about our upcoming programs. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.